Hey guys, welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast, the best way to follow the world of professional volleyball. Today, we are going to be talking Nations League Round 4. Also, we're going to take a look at a lot of the young players, the prospects that have played so far in the tournament, see how they're doing, check up on them, that kind of thing. So first, let's review Round 4 of Volleyball Nations League. We're getting pretty far into the tournament now. Last weekend, pretty exciting, pretty fun. I watched a lot of the games, had a bit more of an open schedule. And while things weren't as interesting as they could be, we still mostly know who's going to make Final Six or not. There were still some exciting volleyball action. Let's start off by talking about pool number 13 took place in the United States of America in Hoffman Estates, which is a suburb outside of Chicago, USA, Japan, China, and Canada were the four teams competing in this pool. Canada, how about that? Undefeated in the pool, 3-0. I'm happy for Canada. They finally played, in my opinion, up to the expectations, I think, that a lot of people had of them before the tournament. However, it might be a little too little too late for the Maple Volleys because they have had a couple of costly losses to teams like Serbia and Bulgaria, teams they should be beating if they want to make the final six. And because of those earlier losses, technically they're still not completely out of contention for final six, but it is extremely unlikely at this point that they will be returning to Chicago to play again. Despite that though, there are some good takeaways for Team Canada. Their serving finally looked acceptable. Their blocking was really good. This has got to be one of the better blocking teams in the entire tournament. How about Mr. Gord Perrin? with four kill blocks against Matt Anderson in just one set, just the fourth set of the game against the Americans. That was pretty cool to watch. One of the cooler highlights of the entire tournament so far, in my opinion. But yeah, that win over the USA was pretty cool. USA definitely missing a lot of their best players, including, most importantly, in my opinion, Micah Christensen. Micah Ma'a. It definitely seems like he is the heir apparent instead of Josh Chuaniga. We'll get into that more later when I talk about the prospects. And while he is an athletic player, he is a skilled player, he's definitely no replacement for Christensen as of yet. His sets were a little off target, partly the reason why Anderson and the rest were getting blocked so many times, but still, good, good win for Canada. I do take issue with the announcer, though, who is Every time Canada pulled ahead, he was like, oh, these are the Americans. They're they're not going to lose to Canada. This team's amazing. Like, the Canadians aren't that good at all. I'm like, man, Americans are playing with, like, three or four of their best players missing. If anything, Canada is favored in this game. This bothers me that he doesn't... I don't think he knew the difference between Micah Christensen and Micah Ma'a. Anyway, good win for Canada. They had a very tight game against Japan. Won the first two sets very easily especially the first one i think it was like 25 17 or something their physicality looked like way too much for japan but then yuki shikawa yuji nishida those guys man they're pretty good they uh they were serving well attacking well in those third and fourth sets definitely fought canada hard in the fifth set too but canada eventually coming away with an important win would have been nice to get the full three points because that might come into play later on but at least they got the win also, I really like the play of Japan's setter, Masahiro Sakita, in this one. He had a couple of really nice serving runs. A little bit of a blocking liability, 
but not as much as you would expect. The dude is 5'9", playing in the front row full-time versus one of the biggest, most physical teams in the sport in Canada. So very impressed by Sakita. His set placement was awesome. Great back row defense, although not as not as good as you would expect as a fi- from a 5'9 setter, but still really, really good setter, really good server. Uh, love watching him play. I love the short guys who can hang in a sport that they're really not supposed to be playing. The Americans playing in front of a home crowd at Hoffman Estates. Actually, not as bad as it turned out as last year where there were like 30 people in the crowd for American home games. There was a decent turnout in a lot of them uh, this time around. Still not as much as most other countries except for maybe Serbia, but an improvement on last year. So the Americans lost to Canada, but they absolutely crushed China and Japan. Matt Anderson is back with the team. I believe he's from the East Coast, so it makes sense that he's joining the team while they are up there. Also, another big returning player for the Americans, Thomas Jaski. How about that? Almost a year since he's played volleyball. Injured his ACL playing with the American national team last summer. Played against Japan this weekend, his first time playing in a long time. Looked decent out there. He he's definitely seems mostly recovered. Definitely a little bit rusty from a volleyball skills perspective. I think I think he's been at the gym definitely a little bit of time, but maybe not playing at full game speed yet. But hit 7 for 18, looked all right. Not the incredible top class Thomas Jaski that we know from all those American national teams and on Verona in Italy, but... I'm pretty confident after watching him play that he's going to be able to recover pretty much fully. Glad to see him back on the court playing volleyball, enjoying himself. Hopefully they, he's able to travel to the last weekend in Bulgaria. Not too much to say about China. They got crushed every game of this weekend once again. Once again, they have no risk of being relegated, even though it looks like they will be dead last in the entire VNL. Only one win so far. Only seven set wins to 33 set losses. That's pretty rough for Team China. Feel bad for Portugal or Australia. Whichever one of those teams is likely to be relegated. Japan, not too much to say about them either, other than Yuki Ishikawa is just an absolute monster. Hit 14 for 23 in their dominating win against China and 20 for 37 in that five-setter against Canada. Him and Yuji Nishida didn't play against the Americans. I think if they had, it actually would have been a pretty tight game. But Ishikawa, man, he's got to be creeping up on being one of the top 20 outside hitters in the world. Even given his size deficiency, he's just so smart and so strong with his attacks. He doesn't even really tool that much. He just manages to hit around the block seemingly every time. He's just ultra accurate with his attack positioning. Really good passer. Incredible server. Just a bit weak in the block, I guess, is really his only weakness. And sometimes he gets flustered against much more physical opponents, although that seems to be happening less and less. Man, Padova got a really good pickup with Ishikawa. Looking forward to seeing him play in Italy next season. Pool 14 at Italy, Argentina, Serbia, and Poland battling it out in Italy's new arena in Milan, which looked pretty good, by the way. Had a decent turnout of fans, although... Wasn't full by any means, but considering apparently the ticket prices were very expensive, not a bad turnout. And this pool definitely had our best match of the weekend in Italy versus Poland. As I said in my preview podcast, this match was likely going to be the one that decided which one of those two teams 
would advance to the final six in Chicago. And man, both teams were fighting hard for this victory. One of the longest volleyball matches I think I've ever seen. Definitely the longest one in VNL history, brief two-year history. But it went to a fifth set, and the final score was 25-23 for Poland. So a rare time in volleyball where the fifth set ends in 25 points. This time courtesy of some great play by Alexander Schlifka, who was probably the MVP for Poland in this game. Karl Kloch also played very well. Italy, though, man, man, they fought hard, missing a lot of their best players in this tournament, obviously. But one of their best players, they are not missing, and a guy who is just playing some insane volleyball right now is their young captain, Simone Gianelli, who scored 11 points this game as a setter, eight kills in this one. Really impressive stuff from the 22-year-old prodigy Gianelli. Not his only double-digit point game as a setter this weekend too though he also scored 10 points in three sets against serbia with five kills four aces and a block pretty incredible stuff uh just an absolutely generational player if you're asking me he's taking a lot of guys who really haven't seen much professional level play yet so far like julio Pinali, oresto cavuto roberto russo guys who aren't necessarily stars or even starting on their pro teams in Italy, and he's carrying them to a very competitive showing at Nations League, and and he's really the main reason why they have been able to be so successful so far, placing the ball perfectly, always an attacking threat, which really makes the man covering him have to stick a bit more and gives his hitters more options on their attack, just placing the ball perfectly, putting a lot of service pressure on. We already know he's one of the best blocking setters in the game, just this guy is doing it all. I don't think it's going to be a long time before I'm declaring him as the best setter in volleyball. Not to say that those other guys on Italy aren't playing very well themselves, though. Julio Pinali has looked pretty good as the opposite for Italy. He's the one guy I kind of predicted before this VNL started. I really liked his play on Modena, so I thought he could actually you know, perform at a pretty good level in the VNL. And he's not looking incredible so far he's not looking like a 30 point per game guy but he's definitely technically proficient he's a smart player he knows his angles he knows where the blockers are so i have a lot of faith that he can become a good player in the future probably not going to be zaitsev but hopefully better than luka vittori poland kind of stumbled their way to three wins on the weekend beating argentina on friday serbia on saturday and then the Italian game I mentioned already on Sunday. Funnily enough, all of those were five setters. And not only that, but the game on Friday actually went into extra time, as I like to call it, with the game going to 19-17. So they had to play additional points in the fifth set. So a lot of volleyball for Poland. Good thing Vidal Hainan has been resting a lot of his players because that's a lot of volleyball to be played over one weekend. 15 sets and two of those fifth sets going to extra points so these were some pretty important wins for poland though with the with those three wins in a pretty easy lineup next week they should be able to make the final six which is pretty cool i mean they always get good home crowd support in Ch- said home crowd they're not a home crowd in chicago but they get a lot of support in chicago might as well be a home crowd for the polish team unfortunately for italy they have a very tough pool 
with Russia, France, and Canada, they could easily go 0-3 in that pool and ultimately miss the final six. Both teams at 8-4 and four right now, so it's definitely looking like Poland is the more likely team to get through. It's too bad for Italy because there were a lot of points in that five-setter against Poland where it looked like they were going to get through multiple match points in that fifth set, but just could could never quite finish the job. Argentina, playing pretty well, gave some good teams some trouble this weekend. Beat Italy pretty soundly, 3-1. Beat Serbia, 3-0. Almost beat Poland, so not a bad team by any means. They Especially when they have Dicheco and Uriarty as the setters. Santiago Donani is one of the best liberos in the VNL right now, in my opinion, so Argentina has some things to look forward to. Definitely the big question mark for the Olympic qualifiers this summer is whether Bruno Lima can be a go-to scorer on the right side because they have Facundo Conte who's probably going to be the first option on the wing playing on the left side. Then I'm going to guess Christian Pogligen also on the left side, maybe even as a second option. And then Bruno Lima, he's going to need to perform well, definitely need to probably hit above 45% if they want a chance of beating Canada in that Olympic qualification tournament. Although Argentina, even if they lose that tournament, they should qualify for the Olympics through the continental tournaments happening in January 2020. Pool number three, second pool in a row taking place in Iran. Obviously, Iran took part. France, Portugal, and Australia. France dominated this pool. I think handed Iran one of their most devastating losses this tournament, one of their only losses, easily beating them 3-0, even though France was missing some of their best players. Of course, Iran was not playing with their unbreakable lineup that has won them so many games this tournament. They weren't playing Ibadapur or Fayazi or Gafour. Interestingly enough, they were playing with uh, Minavi and Farhad Gami and Poryayali. Apparently, it was because they had thought they had already qualified for the final six, which was actually not the case. Apparently, there is still a way that Iran can miss the tournament. I think a lot of things have to go wrong for Iran, and a lot of things have to go a certain way for other teams that are on the bubble. But apparently, there's still a chance. So kind of uh, poor planning, poor calculations done by the Iranians. So apparently, to make up for it, they will send a stronger team to Bulgaria in the fifth round. Kind of funny, though, you would think between all the coaching staff and everything, they could have calculated the qualification process successfully. Anyway, doesn't matter that much. I'm a little, could be a little mad because, you know, the France lost that game. It would have probably helped Canada's chances of maybe potentially slim chance of qualifying for the final six. But other than that, we had the battle of the best of the worst, Portugal and Australia one of the most important matchups of this tournament so far. A loss for Australia would have been devastating for their chances of getting relegated, but the Volley Roos managed to pull through, winning in three very close sets against the Portuguese. Lincoln Williams, Stinky Linky, the opposite for Australia, was the hero of the match. 17 for 27 hitting, very efficient from him. Also added three aces, and a block for a total of 21 points. Really good stuff from him. He's continuing a tradition of very good opposite play from the Australians, following in Thomas Edgar and Paul Carroll's footsteps. So Australia and Portugal, 
both now sitting at two wins, ten losses. Australia, though, with three more points. So if it ever comes to a tie in wins, Australia would be the team to beat. It's too bad for Portugal because they have had a few close matches in this tournament. I've actually thought they looked pretty good at times. Definitely better than China. So we'll see what happens in the last weekend. I'll break that down a bit more when I do the preview podcast for round five. But looking at it right now, it could still go either way. So the book is not written on who's being relegated yet, but Australia definitely saved their chances by beating Portugal. Other than that, it was fairly easy pickings for Iran and France against the poor Australians and Portuguese, except Portugal did give Iran some fits at the beginning of the first set. They won that one 25-23, and then they were leading for a lot of the second set as well, Iran making a lot of mistakes. Portugal doing a decent job of capitalizing, however, some critical unforced errors, a couple missed serves, weren't able to capitalize in that second set. Iran winning 27-25 and then weren't letting Portugal get lucky again and crush them in the third and fourth sets. I hope you guys are enjoying this Portuguese team because if they do get relegated, probably be a long time before you see them again. They got kind of lucky getting into the Nations League this year. They definitely beat the odds in a few of the opponents they defeated, like the Czech Republic. Also got kind of lucky with some of the teams like Belgium not taking qualification seriously. So it's unlikely that the stars align that way once again. The Challenger Cup this year will comprise of Slovenia, Turkey, Egypt, Cuba, Belarus, and Chile. Slovenia definitely looks like the favorite in that group. Should have definitely been in the Nations League. They were the winners of the 2017 World League Group 2. And for those of you who don't know, before there were three groups in World League Groups 1, 2, and 3. If you won Group 2, you got upgraded to Group 1. If you lost Group 1, you got downgraded to Group 2. And same kind of thing between Groups 2 and 3. So Slovenia should have been playing with Group 1 to begin with, but... Of course, that format change kind of screwed them over. And I definitely like Portugal and I like their players a lot, but Slovenia, definitely a much more talented team. Anyway, so the final group that took place this week with the four remaining teams, Brazil, Bulgaria, Germany, and Russia. The Brazilians once again swept their pool. Very good Nations League for the Brazilians. They have been bringing pretty good rosters almost every week, which makes things a bit easier, but nonetheless, 11 and 1, pretty good so far. Funnily enough, the team they actually struggled with the most in this pool was against Germany. Germany not having the best tournament ever, sitting near the bottom of the standings with two wins and 10 losses, but when they serve well and they actually manage to pass and play some defense for once, they can be a pretty dangerous team as we saw in this one. Pretty balanced attack from the Germans with Ruben Schott, Christian Fromm, and Simon Hirsch all scoring in double digits. However, the one thing I don't really like about Jan Zimmermann as a setter is he... I understand you want to have a balanced attack, but sometimes he's almost too balanced. All his wings receive pretty much the same amount of sets, and he always sets his middles a little less often than I would like and always when you would just about expect it. 
I don't know. Sometimes it's nice to uh, play the hot hand, play your matchups a little bit more. You don't have to be a perfectly balanced setter at all times. You don't have to be Thanos. The one game I was really looking forward to this pool, it was the game that capped off the entire weekend, was Brazil versus Russia. However, Brazil didn't really bring their best lineup to this round of Nations League. No Dmitry Volkov, no Igor Kliuka, and in this match, no Viktor Politev. So Russia not playing with a bad lineup by any means. They're, they're, they're certainly a very deep country, lots of talent among their bench players, but still against Brazil didn't wasn't really enough. Yaroslav Podlesnek, who we saw on that Kemerovo team, along with Politev and Kobzar, played a decent match. He's a good defensive outside hitter. He's pretty tall as well, a good combination. And I actually liked Fedor Vornikov as well. However, they're, they're not really any replacement for Igor Kluka and Dmitry Volkov. And then Denis Zemchenok continued his play from Belgorod and hit 7 for 23. A lot of them on some pretty nasty, unforced errors. So I guess the game didn't really live up to the reputation of a rematch between the 2012 Olympic finalists. However, we will probably see both of these teams in the final six, maybe in the same pool, and hopefully with a full-strength roster from both countries. We'll definitely see Brazil in the final six because they guaranteed a spot with their undefeated weekend. Once again, Russia at 9-3 and three is very, very likely to qualify Maybe I'll go into the exact math of the qualifications for the final round in the preview podcast. That could be a fun exercise. Bulgaria could have had a disastrous weekend, but they did manage to squeak out a win versus Germany. Now at four wins total, two more than both Portugal and Australia. So unless those teams both win all of their games in the final round, then Bulgaria is most likely safe from relegation for this edition of Nations League. In that win against Germany, Svetin Sokolov was a key part of the team, hitting 19 for 34. We also got to see my boy Martin Atanasov, who I've been waiting patiently to be given a chance to play for Bulgaria's national team. Performed pretty well. Eight kills on 16 attempts, two kill blocks, and an ace. So not a bad game from him. And we even got to see... University of Hawaii star dominated the NCAA last year. Radu Parapunov got in. Two kills, three attempts. Not bad. Uh, I, I wish he did get in for more, but Bulgaria clearly wanted to get at least one win this weekend, and Sveden Sokolov is, is a very good way to do that. And yeah, he's the better option. Anyway, that's it for the recap portion of this podcast going to do the preview later on this week where talk about some of the possibilities and scenarios that could go down next weekend you know it's not as interesting as it could be most of the final six is pretty set there are some unlikely scenarios where some bubble teams could get in of course the race between australia and portugal should definitely be intense both teams sitting at two wins so probably one win for either of those teams does it Maybe, maybe two. Two would definitely solidify it, so that, that should be exciting. Anyway, for the last part of this podcast, I'm going to do a prospect watch. Just go over each of the teams 
you know, young players, potential future stars, and, and give, give a check and see how they're doing. So for the Americans, TJ DeFalco has been amazing so far. Looks pretty improved from his play with the national team last year. Had a historic run with Long Beach State University, winning the NCAA championship, so congrats to him. His teammates, Josh Tuaniga, Kyle Onsing, have not done quite as well. Tuaniga kind of lost out the battle between him and Micah Ma'a, relegated to the Pan Am Cup, where I'm sure he's doing okay. Kyle Ensing, we haven't really seen him. Ben Patch has been actually been playing really well this tournament, other than the float serves, but that can be worked on. So yeah, we, we've seen a bit of Ensing. hasn't really looked incredibly good. I still think he should transition to an outside hitter. But anyway, uh, Ensing's looked okay. D'Agostino, another college graduate this year. Libero played for Stanford. Gotten a couple times. Honestly, not impressive to me. Decent in reception, but man, you got you got to be better than that as a defender if you want to play a libero position. Really looked slow reading and getting to balls. And then Mike Ma'a has been a very impressive prospect. Played a bit of outside, but mostly playing setter for this tournament. His set placement is not quite as good as Micah Christensen or even Kwika Shoji at this point, but he clearly has the athleticism, the work ethic, the drive to improve on that. And, you know, the guy can play his outside hitter. He, that's so cool. And his serve, which is terrorized NCAA players, hasn't quite translated to a devastating international serve, but he does have five aces, so not too bad. For the Canadians, Shawan Vernon Evans, before he twisted his ankle this Friday, I forgot to mention that during the Canadian part, probably because I've tried to repress the memory too much, but yeah. Shawan went down with a non-contact ankle injury on Friday, stayed with the team, didn't have to go to the hospital or anything, and, and, and was walking around, but wasn't able to play the rest of the weekend. Watched the rest of the games, chilling in the stands with Eric Lepke, another player prospect on this list. But yeah, Shawan has definitely looked like, like incredible so far this tournament. Was the leading scorer before it went down. Looked super athletic, looked way stronger, looked way more fluid in the air. You know, he looks like a potential future superstar in volleyball. You know, I already had high expectations for him, as did a lot of Canadians, but I, I think he surpassed them. And I'm just, I just hope he can stay injury-free. I hope that's not going to be the narrative of his career. Is just, man, this guy looks so incredible and then just keeps going down with injuries. I just, you know, take it easy, take it slow. He's already had a couple so far, so don't want to risk anything. The other two kind of highly lauded Canadian prospects. Eric Lepke really only played that first weekend in Argentina. Only scored three points. I mean, I guess he looked pretty good in that one game, but not enough of a sample size. You know, I get that Canada was, you know, trying, I guess, to get to Final Six and wants to play with a roster that they're going to use in the Olympic qualifiers and hopefully at the Olympics. But now that we're likely going to miss the Final Six, I kind of wish... We got to see more from Eric Lepke and also the next guy to mention, Dan and Jimma, who I know a lot of people are excited to see play. I posted a highlight of him on my Instagram. I think he was playing in Iran. And I got a lot of views because pe people are hyped up about this guy. He's really, really fun player to watch. Absolutely jumps out of the gym, crushes the ball at the attack line on like half his attack. So he he's definitely exciting. I think that's why a lot of people want to see him play more but only got in that one weekend in iran really 
and he didn't really even get set that much so we didn't get to see too much but when he did get set he did look quite impressive even at the international level most middles aren't even close to his level athletically so that's going to be an advantage no matter where he goes however another guy from UCLA he he had a devastating serve at UCLA one of the best servers in the entire university system but for some reason I've never seen a float serve before but he was going for a float serve quite a few times with Team Canada I don't know I don't know if that's the way to roll for a guy like Dan and Jimma who has a proven really good jump serve but I guess Canada maybe has a consistently see threshold that they put in practice and you have to hit a certain percentage of jump serves for you to be allowed to do them in games maybe something along those lines I don't know but I would definitely like to see him return to the jump serve for France Barthelemy Chinyez has been absolutely balling out like I predicted on my preview podcasts he had a fantastic season for tours in the French league this year relegating Mitch Stahl the American middle blocker to the bench and what we've seen in this tournament Mitch Stahl is pretty good so for him to be on the bench in tours behind uh, Chininez and Teriomenko, that's that's a good testament to those guys' abilities. However, Kevin LaRue and Nicolas Legoff have also looked pretty good. So France and Laurent Tillier are, are going to have some tough decisions to make on who they're going to start out of those guys. Timothy Carl, who we hadn't really seen a lot of to this point, a young opposite hitter for France, also looked pretty good. You know, the same as a lot of these French Wing Spiker is just insanely technically proficient, rarely makes mistakes, and is surprisingly athletic. So he didn't play a ton, but I, I want to see some more from him. Russia, definitely their most impressive guys. We've mentioned several times on the podcast before. Ivan Yakovlev looks like he has the speed and lateral quickness that is lacking in a lot of middle blockers. So I like to see that. Really stretchy once he gets out to the pins. And then their other kind of younger guy that we haven't seen play a lot before, Voronkov. You know, kind of just a generic Russian outside hitter. You know, tall, strong, struggles a bit with the passing, but makes it makes up for it with his uh, strong out-of-system play. Given the other talent in the system on the outsides for Russia, namely Klyuka and Volkov, don't think we're going to see too much more Voronkov, but, you know, he might be make some travel rosters here and there throughout his career. Italy, a team that we knew was going to bring a lot of young guys. And the guys who have impressed me the most, definitely Arresto Cavuto, outside hitter, still a little rough around the edges, especially for Italian players who are usually a little more polished at that age. But, you know, he's, he's had his moments. He's a better server than I expected for sure, uh, has a number of aces. Julio Pinali, who really impressed me when he went in for Modena this season. I think I already talked about him earlier in the podcast, though. Daniel Lavia was the other outside hitter who's gone some playing time. I think he's definitely looked better than Giacomo Raffaele, at least. So he has that going for him. And again, a really young guy, still still not developed into his body by any means. But I think I see some good potential with Lavia. And then the last guy, again, this guy's not really a prospect. I mean, he started on the Champions League and Superliga winning Lubitsch Ivtanova. But Fabio Belasso... You know, I always thought he was he was by far the weakest link in that Lube team. And maybe it's just because the players around him aren't as talented on this Italian national team. But yeah, but Belasso actually looks pretty good. He's he's passing really well. He's setting really well too, which I, I didn't really realize was a strong part of his game. 
because Lube Chivtanova had so many guys who can be the secondary setters. So I've really liked what I've seen from Belasso. Maybe I wasn't giving enough credit during the Superliga season. Bulgaria, as I mentioned, Atanasov actually got some playing time. Good for him. You know, he looks so athletic, even compared to guys at this level. He's still a little too error-prone for my taste, needs to clean it up a bit. You know, one of those guys who hasn't really figured out how to harness his athleticism. I mean, it's a pretty common thing. A lot of really athletic players don't really figure out how to use it until later on in their career, so hopefully he does. Alex Grozdin off the middle. Honestly, a little lower on him than I was going into the tournament. He's looked kind of slow, has looked kind of weak. His serving has been a huge liability. He has an air percentage rate of almost 20%, despite using a float serve. It just looks really messy. That's way too high for a float serve that I don't, I don't even think is particularly strong. And while his attacking is pretty good, like he's, he's a good wrist snapper, he can put the ball down. His blocking is pretty sloppy. I just feel like he doesn't take up much area when he gets out to the wings and, and taking space away from opposing middles. So, I mean, he's still really young, so lots of time to improve for him. Argentina, I already mentioned Santiago Danani is one of my favorite players in the tournament. Leading the tournaments in both digs and service reception, according to FIVB stats. So, usually that is a tier reserved for one libero only, and that's Jenny Grabenikov. But Danani getting it done, I mean, if you watch him play, you, you see it. He's really quick, really smart, so, so technical with the way he passes. So I don't know, we could be looking at a future heir to Grabenikov in Santiago Danani of Argentina. His teammates, Bruno Lima, already talked about him earlier too, has had a good few moments. However, doesn't really seem like a high usage guy, a guy who you can set 40 times per game. Sometimes it also seems like the ball is coming off his arms and has a magnet pulling it towards the opponent's blocks. I feel like he gets blocked so much every time I watch him play. But he's a guy with a little bit more athleticism than most of the Brazilian teams, so I still see some potential room to improve. And then the last guy, Augustin Loser, who we talked a lot about last year because it was kind of a breakout star. But he struggled a bit this year, hitting below 50% attack efficiency, which is not great for a middle and and his blocking's fine his serving's fine it's just not really the improvement that you would expect from a player going from 21 to 22 years old australia doesn't really have a ton of you know good prospects arash dosange the six foot seven setter who i thought played a couple of great rounds at the beginning of the tournament including when i saw him live in person in ottawa Dangerous threat offensively. You don't see many setters with that kind of height. Still needs to work a lot on his set placement. But I think I think the tools are there. The physicality is there. The blocking is there. The serving is a really good float server as well. I think he should be starting above Harrison Peacock already. But if not this tournament, then definitely within the next year or two. Elliot Viles, the... Canadian U Sports Player of the Year playing for the Brandon Bobcats. You know, definitely has looked a little outmatched playing at this level of competition. Doesn't look confident, doesn't look comfortable. It'll take some time, but he has gotten on the court a few times, so good to get that experience. And he still has two years left in school to kind of build out his body and become more confident hitting the ball into much more adept defenses than you would find in Canadian university play. 
another middle who burst onto the scene last year and doesn't seem to have improved much. Jakob Kohanovsky. I mean, he's still like an incredible player, one of the best middles in the world at a very young age, but he just hasn't had as many, you know, breathtaking athletic plays this year. Still buries the ball whenever he gets a good chance, but his serve is looking a little bit less consistent. His blocking is still really good, but not quite as many, you know, incredible epic kill blocks. I mean, he's still incre- a really good player, but sometimes I think we expect these great players to just like keep getting better and better and better in this linear line, and, and that's often not the case. Sometimes they struggle for a year, and then they'll come back even better in a couple of years sometimes. Teams don't scout for them properly, so they're able to you know, thrive off that. And then once teams know who they are, they, they struggle to adapt to that. But Kokonofsky will be fine. I mean, he's still a really good player. Bartosz Folek recovered from his ankle injury very well, although now he wears the double ankle braces, which is kind of a funny look. Just really, really smart player, good server. Has just some really clever, crafty tips, which I like to see from him. He's a little undersized on the outside hitter position. And then out of the two other stars of that 2017 U21 World Championship team, Thomas Fornal looks pretty good. Hasn't got a ton of time. Not going to compete with the Bednor, Shalpuk, Schlifka, Kubiak, Leon group anytime soon. But, you know, there's potential there. I do. I think Norbert Huber actually has a bit more potential to play for the national team sooner. He's had a couple of massive kills and massive blocks. He was a really skinny guy before, but starting to fill into his frame, which is always important for a middle blocker. And I'm excited to see what he has to do in the future. For Iran, Poria Yali. Honestly, not impressed by the guy. Still a young player, but has basically given away twice as many points as he's gotten almost every time I've watched him. Middle blocker Mojarad, however, I, I've actually thought has been quite impressive so far. Uh, the Iranians, I'm always surprised to find out when some of their players are like 19 or 20 years old because they all look like 28 or 29 to me. But Mojarad apparently has been killing it in the domestic league in Iran, so I wasn't really surprised that he's playing well in the VNL, so good for him. And then I was also surprised to find out their libero, Mohamed Hazrat, is only 20 years old as well because he, he's been very impressive, in my opinion. R- really crafty defender, really quick defender, and has been able to hold down the reception line pretty decently. Serbia has a whole group of young guys cause, because they specifically are using this tournament to kind of see which young guys have potential with the national team. I would say the guys who have impressed me the most are their setter, Todorovic. You know, he's still got a lot to learn, still kind of messy with his hands sometimes, still misconnects with his hitters. But I think the potential's there. You know, he he can fire the ball pretty far. Like, he's very comfortable firing some pretty tough sets from, like, position one to position four. So I I think the kid's got a bit of potential. Setter being Serbia's probably biggest weakness right now. So if he develops quickly, you know, he could could have some uh, playing time with a very talented group of middles and wing spikers. I also liked Vucicevic, who I was also surprised to learn is only, I think, 20 or 21 years old. Huge guy. Kind of reminds me of Oliver Venno. You know, doesn't really jump that high, doesn't really get off the ground, but he's so huge and he's so strong. Doesn't really even matter. A lot of unforced errors from Vucicevic, but 
If he does get a solid hit in, I did not see a lot of players digging it. It's too bad he's behind three very good opposites in Alexander Atanasevich, Drazen Lubrich, and also Dusan Pekovic. So even though he played well, he's still very deep in the depth charts for Serbia. Germany, and again, another team playing with quite a few young guys. Most impressive to me have been their mountainous middles, Tobias Krik and Anton Brehm. I think I've said this before, but uh, as someone who's kind of stood next to them in person, <laughs> it's pretty crazy how big they are, even at a pretty young age. Both good servers, both good blockers, both still you know learning the nuances of middle attacking, but getting better. But I think that pair of guys is basically going to be like having two of Marcus Bohm. So I'm excited to see what those two guys do in the future. However, their outside hitters, Sossenheimer and Richard and Weber haven't been quite as impressive for Germany. Didn't really see any Moritz Karlitz. Like, I don't think we saw him at all this tournament, who was the guy I was most excited about. So maybe the Germans can still hold out some hope that Karlitzek can be a go-to outside hitter. For Japan, Yuji Nishida, similarly impressive to last year. It's still crazy that he's well, maybe the youngest prospect I've talked about in this little segment so far. I would say this year he looks a lot more comfortable, calm, and confident on the court. Not that he wasn't last year, but he definitely seems to have adjusted to the world of professional volleyball a lot better, you know, being one of the top players in the Japanese V-League this season and also playing big roles at the VNL World Championships for Japan last year. Portugal, I really like... Let me read my notes here. Bruno Kuna. Hadn't really seen him play a lot before last weekend, but he impressed me with, you know, his ability to switch up between, you know, standard power shots as an opposite. And also, yeah, he had a few nice little roll shots um, to the middle of the court, kind of wipes off the block. You know, not a lot of shots that a lot of, you know, 21-year-old opposites have in their arsenal. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what he can do. Unfortunately, he is playing for kind of a no-name club in Portugal. Apologies to anyone who is a fan of Volleyball Club Vienna. So we probably won't get to see him play a lot. So appreciate Kuno while you can. And then finally, Brazil. We got to see a lot of Cachopa, who I don't think has really played for Brazil before. Really great hands on that kid. Really kind of fiery temperament too, carrying on the tradition from Bruno Resende. Cachopa's serving is actually better than I remember from watching him on Sada Cruzeiro. So that's a huge asset, but it's definitely still a liability in the blocking department, not having the best hops and only being, I think, 6-1 or 6-2. And then Maik Reyes, who kind of broke out in the World Championships for Brazil last year in Brazil's two libero system with Thales Haas handling reception and Maik Reyes handling the back row defense. And he got a lot of continuations for Brazil. As, you know, some liberos just have that knack for just sticking an arm in her leg out and getting the ball up. And Maik Reyes definitely has that really fun libero to watch will run through a wall to dig up a ball, which I always appreciate as a fan You know when the players are that passionate. So Brazil really knows how to churn out these incredible liberos. Anyway, this is a long podcast, so I'm going to end it here. Hope you enjoyed the review of round four and also an update on some of the young players, some of the prospects that we got to see in this year's Volleyball Nations League. I am excited to see round five maybe Maybe my team Canada will have 
an outside shot of getting into the final six. Probably not, though. We've probably got our final six already in Brazil, Iran, France, Russia, and Poland, and the USA. Which, even if you're not a fan of those teams, that's a pretty crazy stacked group of volleyball countries. So, I'm excited to see round five, see how it all turns out. So, thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great week.